Hi, I'm Chris Sarandon. This is Cooking by Heart, where we revisit the vivid memories of the food we grew up with and the people and the stories attached to that time in our lives. Today, my guest is Michael Rosenbaum. Michael has starred on the screen with Bradley Cooper, Kristen Bell, Charlize Theron, Steve Martin, Clint Eastwood, and many others. He's acted in over 20 feature films, including Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and 3, Urban Legend, and Bringing Down the House, and many more. He's known for portraying what many journalists, fans, and the late Stan Lee believe to be the best Lex Luthor. His epic villain from the hit Superman series Smallville, a role that earned him a Saturn Award. He also has an extensive voiceover career in animation films. Today, Michael enjoys spending time podcasting with his show, Inside of You, where I've been a guest, and playing music. His new band, Sun Spin, is dropping their second album on November 1st, 2022. I'm happy to welcome, <laughs> as he brandishes Sun Spin on his chest, Michael Rosenbaum. Good to see you, Michael. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me, sir. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you, buddy. You know, when, so, when you, by the way, before you get started, before yeah, yeah. you, oh, please, I yeah. look at you and I'm like, I, yeah. I still am stunned. So many people, when they listen to your podcast and, and saw you, they're like, I mean, how good does he look? You look fantastic. I don't know how you do it. Is it Indian skin cream? What is it? Well, no, no. As a matter of fact, I, I bathe in, in the blood of... Uh, I, never mind. Uh, there, uh, I have been accused, by the way, of having a, a portrait of me up in the attic somewhere. You, you know, the story of Dorian, Dorian Gray by one of my ex-wives. I won't say which one. Uh, <laughs> but the first thing that we want to deal with today is... I talk almost immediately with everybody about provenance, where we're from, because so much of that has to do with uh, the way we grew up uh, and also the food we eat. So you started out in where? Well, where did you? Where, I was where, born. Where were you born? I was born in Oceanside, Long Island, kind of near Amityville. Right. And my mom is kind of out of her mind. She used to take me to see the Amityville house where the Amityville horror was filmed. In fact, Ooh. it's on Ocean Avenue, and if you ever go, it's the only house on the street. You'll know which house it is. It's the house that's turned on its side. So the side of the house is facing the street. Those windows, oh, oh, they took out those, those crazy windows. But um, she used to always take me to the Amityville house. So at about eight years old, my dad got a job transfer, and we moved to Indiana. So Jews from New York moving to the Midwest, <laughs> Indiana, and um, thus began. Big change. It was a big change more for them, but I guess, yeah. you know, I was still young. I remember it was, it was, it was, a, it was a transition, but um, I was young enough to sort of, sort of adapt. It was, it was a nice place to grow up. I really enjoyed it. I liked that they had, it, was, it was neighborhoods, very calm and quiet. You can cut through backyards and drink out of garden hoses and uh, catch fireflies and sort of peaceful. You go out and they just say, just oh, come dealing. home whenever. And it was, uh, yeah. it was nice. Right. They cut you loose like I did when I was growing up, actually. Yeah. You know, mom said, hey, go, go. When you hear the whistle, it's dinner time. And she had a ref like a referee's whistle. She'd blow it and we'd know to come home. So tell me, tell me a little bit about mom and dad. Well, uh, I'd, let's, let's use a kind word. Um, oh, no, okay. that, I mean, eccentric, uh, you know, out there. Um, 
my mom, for the most part, uh, my dad was very quiet, introvert, just didn't say much, was not a lot of emotion, not a lot of, I love you, son. I, you didn't hear mm-hmm. that. You didn't hear, I'm proud of you. It was just kind of work. Don't show up to work. Don't be late. Um, and my mom was sort of all over the place. Uh, and, uh, you know, she taught aerobics and she wrote a little articles in her paper. And, um, you know, I was sort of the kid that just was always tried to get out of the house and, and make friends. And, you know, I had sort of had my friends, parents were usually my parents in a lot of ways. I had different friends and their moms and dad would yeah, yeah. be my mom and dad around the neighborhood. And, yeah. uh, you know, it was, but it was a, it was a fun childhood for the most part. I had a pretty good childhood. Now, your your mom and your dad, I know that at some point they parted ways. But in the yeah. beginning, what were your first memories of sitting around the dinner table? Oh, was mom, man. Was mom um, a cook? <laughs> That's the problem. She really wasn't a cook. My, her mother, Ruthie, used to make unbelievable lasagnas. Mm. Just layered with different cheeses and, you know, and just... Uh, she could make anything. But my mother, she was too busy. So she threw things together. Yeah. She would just kind of make a make a spaghetti and meatballs. And you didn't know exactly where it was coming from. Maybe it was the old ragu and just dump it in there. <laughs> yeah, and But, you know, she wasn't a really amazing cook. She made an ambrosia. Don't recall exactly what was in there. Some marshmallows and some fruits. Uh, it was uh, yeah. For those of you, horrible. yeah. For those of you who know don't know what ambrosia is, it's as as uh, uh, Michael mentions, it's a mixture of fruit, marshmallows, uh, uh, some other unknown uh, um, items that we may may or may not be able to. Even if you saw them, you might not know what they are. But it was a dessert, right? Yeah, miniature like marshmallows yeah, yeah. and orange slices and right. uh you know it was ju- some grapes and it was just i don't know i, I thought it was something she made up i didn't i didn't actually realize that ambrosia was a real thing it was a dish i thought she just threw shit together <laughs> right. it's a heat this <laughs> i thought ambrosia was a made-up word right. i thought it was a, a band from the 70s who sang how, how that's how much i feel you remember that song sure <laughs> and uh i think that was my mother's mo she she would always throw things together right and things yeah she wasn't a great cook i i used to always look to going to friends houses to have uh better meals right and so so this then day she didn't have a job job but she was busy all the time because she was a writer as well as a what she wrote little articles in the paper, like it was called the Newberg Register, and she would write these little articles, and she would put our names in it sometimes and embarrass us. You know, she'd mm-hmm. mention my name, and she would just she taught aerobics class, but I don't think she knew what the hell she was doing. But that was the time in the eighties where everybody was doing aerobics. Yeah. So she used to have these women come up in the attic. My dad carpeted the attic, and they, it was like. It felt like there was a thunderstorm going on. <laughs> boom, boom, right. boom. And they're dancing to like Maniac right, by right. Michael Smello. And uh, I remember as a kid going, would you shut up? <laughs> and, uh, you know, but she made that. I think they would pay her $15 a month. Each each woman would pay her $15 a month. And they come every week to have these. All they would do for the most part is sit around and gossip. They'd sit around yeah. and gossip. And then they'd, they'd do, you know. 
aerobics for 10, 15 right. minutes, but mostly it was just talk. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like a, a, a perfectly benign way to, uh, to pass time for 15 bucks. What the heck? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Right. I think that's what it was. Right, right. So then uh, dad was a, a full-time working man outside the house, and he would come home for dinner? Yeah, he worked for Bristol Myers Pharmaceuticals, and you know he was a hard worker. He never, he, he was very, uh, you know, he never missed a day of work. He was always on time, mm-hmm. um, and he demanded that from from the kids. I mean, we always had to, you know, if we were late, if he was ready to go, like we're leaving at ten o'clock in the morning, yeah. you better be downstairs and in the car. Yeah, I mean, he was very, he was strict, and he had a he had a little bit of a temper, but um, you know, he mostly worked. He'd get home at like six o'clock at night, and maybe I'd have dinner with him for a little while, and that was it. And then I, I didn't really, you know, see him much. Right. So he was not really. He was just working a lot. And my mother, you know, she didn't really know how to discipline us, so she used to just tell him, and he'd have to discipline us. So all I really knew from my father is he worked hard and he disciplined. Right. Good, us. good cop, bad cop. Yeah, and. Um, so it's what it was, and, and um, what was the what was it? You had siblings, right? You had, yeah. Br- I, well, my mom was married before she married my dad, and she had my older brother and older sister. Oh, okay. So, so they're half brother and sister, and they were from a relationship before. Mm-hmm. And the guy was sort of abusive, and then they they divorced, and then my mom lived with her mother and my five year old half brother and four year old half sister. Then my dad was 18 years old and met my 23-year-old mom with a five and a six or seven-year-old. Oh, wow. Married her, had me a year later. He's this hippie with no money. Right. Had a newspaper route. Uh, you know, it was just, he was broke. He had, he had one pair of jeans. He smoked pot and uh, he did the best he could and busted his ass to kind of get, you know, make enough money to get by. Right. So we lived in like duplexes around New York mm-hmm. and near the beach and... They were friends with a lot of hippies, and you know oh. it was uh, it's kind of crazy. I just I remember we lived in a place called the Hut, the Hut. They called it the Hut, and it was just a crap. One day while we we're sitting around, the whole kitchen sink just collapsed <laughs> to the ground, and everybody was like, "What the?" That was sort of like we lived so. I mean, you you learn it. It's kind of good, it, you know. It's uh, it's humbling. It's a hum- It was a humbling yeah, experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming not much, and then seeing my dad work hard, working into lower middle class family to a middle class right. to a, you know. And he started making more money by the time I graduated college, and I was on my own. So what? So, so going back to the earlier years in the hut, what was it like around the dinner table with two half siblings and your mom and your dad? What was the conversation like? You know, was there conversation? I don't remember the, there being a lot of conversation. It was mostly my mom telling about her day, uh-huh. what she was doing. And if any of us, and I had a propensity for sort of saying, what the hell are we eating? <laughs> and my dad saying, show your mother some damn respect. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they called me, my last name's Rosenbaum. They would call, friends would call me Frozen Rosenbaum because she would make frozen pizzas all the time. Oh. Or frozen foods. Right. I wish I had parents like you, Chris. Uh, you have a garden. You 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 have nutrients in your meals, and they're healthy for the most part. I assume. I didn't have that growing up. I grew up with you know, just not much. Yeah, yeah. Not much when it came to 
But I look when we went out to dinner. That that was like a gift. Well, that's my next question. What what you went out? Where did you go? And what did you have? You know, uh, there's a Chinese restaurant. I like Chinese. I like uh, going to the Golden Buddha, getting some beef and broccoli. Mm -hmm. The Golden Buddha in Newburgh, Indiana. We go out for pizza at uh, Mazio's Pizza in Newburgh at the time, or Pizza Chef, and get pizzas and a salad. But, you know, it's funny because I feel like uh, getting to know you, I want to start eating better. I want to start, you know, and I think you're the, this is the sort of show, this is, you're the sort of the, the, the person that is, is probably a good go-to for me to begin my quest to eat healthier. Oh, okay. So then what you're essentially saying is that as a result of this podcast, uh, I've got to take over your um, your culinary choices going forward. Uh, and uh, um, uh, we'll, we'll discuss this, uh, Michael. Yeah. Uh, uh, were your parents... Were, did your, were your parents good cooks? Did they cook for you every well, night? Fresh I, vegetables? Michael, as people who listen to this show know, I grew up in a restaurant. My dad owned a restaurant in a small coal mining town in West Virginia, Beckley, West Virginia. And so on alternate weeks, I would eat dinner at the restaurant when my dad was working the evening shifts with my mom, and I could have whatever I wanted. So basically, if I wanted a steak or if I wanted, a, um, uh, you know, whatever was on the menu, I could have, including these these amazing desserts that were made fresh every day by the cook. It was not a gourmet restaurant by any stretch of the imagination. It was kind of a cross between a diner and a restaurant. There were short orders, but there was also uh, fresh made pies, cakes, cobblers, and then fresh made entrees at at lunch, and then dinner was mostly, you know, meat and potatoes, but it was really good meat. My dad butchered everything. And then at home, when my mom cooked, she was taught by my father how to cook, interestingly, and uh, it was all Greek. The The diet was basically almost all completely, you know, Greek-style cooking, be it, even if we had chicken, it was Greek-style roasted chicken with oregano and lemon and, and uh, uh, roasted potatoes in the Greek-style and always a salad. My dad had a glass of wine. It was very uh, European in a way. Uh, but it was, f- generally speaking, fresh food all the time. Uh, not, farmed wow. at, not farmed at table by any stretch of the imagination, but it was fresh. Yeah, and so I carried that on as I got older. I cooked for myself because I watched my mom cook, and she always, we had to help. Did you help in the kitchen after, before, at any time? No, I think we did dishes, but that was it. Yeah, but we we didn't really contribute to the food making. I, I, I like I said. I mean, I, I, and as I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm so envious <laughs> of that because, as my family knows, my brothers and sisters, yeah, 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 we we didn't get that. We didn't have healthy foods. Right. For years and years, we ate kind of whatever she put together, whatever she threw together, mm-hmm. and my dad somehow. Would, was very nice about it. It was like, great. He would never make fun of her food. And we were sitting there going, how do you eat this? How do you, how do you, how are you doing this? Oh, wow. We were always really skinny kids mm-hmm. growing up, my brother and I. And uh, I think my mom had a lot to do with that. I what? think her cooking had a lot to do with that. <laughs> was, there any, was there any sort of dropping food off the side of the table for the dog or anything like that? Oh, yeah. I would do that yeah. occasionally for sure. Yeah. And I'm sure the dog probably didn't eat it too sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> he had discriminating taste, did he? 
<laughs> yes. The dog, funny enough, the dog's name was Cujo. Ooh. It was, it was a little poodle oh. named Cujo. This ferocious dog man. Right. <laughs> but he was a diminutive Cujo. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So so you mentioned uh conversations at the table were fairly brief and and uh kind of uh mundane. Yeah, I, I would think so. I think it was mostly about my mother's day, my father. Didn't really ask what we were, how were you doing in school? It was sort of like we weren't there for the most part. Sounds kind of sad, but no. and in Indiana, there wasn't a lot to choose from to go out to dinner. Right. Like we said, there was a Chinese restaurant. I think there were a lot of pizza places. It was the Midwest. Yeah. A lot of fast food. To this day, if you go there, there's a strip on 66, I think it's on 66 or 261, that are just every fast food restaurant you can you can imagine right and you know that gets addictive i mean you you know when you're a kid or you know you grow up there it's like a, you see fast food it's a quick grab just get it you're yeah. and that sort of becomes habit it's habitual eating it, uh, you know eating well is habitual i and i think that um i never had a habit of eating well because there wasn't a lot of choices around me. And also, so the, just, the way those those takeout foods are formulated, they're formulated for you to, uh, uh, to, for them to bring pleasure to those centers in the brain that love fat and uh, sugar, essentially. Yeah. Uh, because those foods yeah. are highly flavored. They, they do, you know, excite the taste centers of the brain and also whatever else is going on in your body. Yeah, I, that's absolutely true. And like, you know, even today, it's like I, I keep saying I'm going to get, you know, I need to start a diet that's healthy. That because I, it's absolutely true the inflammation. Oh, certain foods couldn't cause. couldn't be f uh, closer to the truth. Absolutely. And allergies. Yeah. Like my allergies, I have congestion. I, I I I don't eat as well as I should. I get into some routines or some habits where you know for a couple of weeks I'll eat healthy, and then all of a sudden I well I'm in the mood for a soda. And then I want a chicken sandwich from freaking mm -hmm. Chick-fil-A. Um, I am single. So maybe, uh, you know, uh, having a partner and working together to eat healthy would be sort of more of a fun thing to do and a healthy thing to do. But, uh, yeah, so far, I think that I, it's easy for me to sort of fall off the wagon and go grab something that's quick. Mm -hmm. I try not to eat fast food, but ordering in a lot. Oh, really? Yeah, now. I do order in a lot, and I think that I have to. I sh I really should learn how to cook more. I mean, I could cook a steak, I could cook some pasta, I could cook tacos, but I think it might be a fun thing for me to sort of dive into and experience and start making things that will add to my well-being as opposed to things that contribute to health risks and things. Well, there are a lot of great healthy cookbooks out there and all you have to do is read a recipe if you can follow a recipe you can cook you can do it i'm telling you they're not that hard no not really no not really and and after a while you develop a kind of i mean i call it it's interesting because i i have three kids they're all grown and they all cook my son's a trained chef uh, but my two daughters are great cooks and they have over the years just and they have their own way of doing it. It's not just the way they learned when they were growing up around me and their mom. 
they also have have expanded their horizons in terms of food and cooking, uh, and it's it's a world that is um, easily accessible and also is rewarding because you get the rewards when you sit down to the table, and it's something that you can share with other people. It's something that creates community as well. So. Is there is there a black sheep in your family? Is there someone who doesn't follow the traditions of cooking, and uh, or is everyone pretty uh, pretty good at that? Uh, my brother, before he passed away, he had four hundred cookbooks, and he cooked everything. He loved to cook. He was a he was a pretty amazing chef, and he had a major digestive problems. So his uh, his cooking was kind of curtailed. I mean, his his consumption was curtailed by that, but it didn't stop him from from uh, at least experiment. He loved to experiment and try things. He <laughs> later in his life, he discovered spam. Do you know what spam is? Yeah. Yeah, it was a very very much a wartime thing came out of the f- I never have I don't I think I might have isn't it kind of mushy? Yeah. I mean it's a, you know it's a canned kind of meat composite meat product, but he would make it with different things and he would fry it and he would broil it and he would, you know, uh, use different th- it was really quite extraordinary considered that he was a gourmet cook. At the same time he he had he had a very wide palate of things that he was willing to try in his life. I admired him greatly for that, and I miss him uh, terribly. At any rate, uh, let's get back to, so going out, you guys went out, you'd have pizza, you'd have um, Chinese food, um, and um, was, was there a time that you remember when you were young when your taste buds were awakened where you just went, oh my God, what I, this I've been missing this all my life. Where did it come from? Was it d- did you have a moment like that? Was it when you were younger? Was it when you were in college? Maybe do you recall anything like that? I think maybe not college as much as you know, there were certain moments like if you had, you know, if you went to a bar mitzvah or you went to someone's wedding. And you're like, oh, wow, this is a three-course meal, mm-hmm. salad, and there's vegetables, and there's, you know, uh, it's it was it was a surprise. It was like, what is this? And it was kind of like, you're so used to bad yes. that it took you a minute to go, what? And then you realize, hey, this is actually pretty good. And it wasn't until later, when you start getting older, people start to tell you, this other stuff is going to kill you. <laughs> you realize that. Right. Because when you're young, no one tells you that. You just say, yeah, get a McDonald's. Get him this. Get him that. At least that's what we lived, you know, that sort yeah, of yeah. environment. Yeah. And it wasn't till later. I mean, look, when you're starving artists, it's like you're not going to make gourmet meals. You're not going to. I mean, you could, I guess, if you grew up with it. But, you know, I mean, even in college and, and after college, going and doing off-Broadway and living in New York, I would. it was still mostly ramen noodles or, you know. What you could uh, afford. What could I, I could afford. Yeah. And then I remember my friend got a job as a waiter in this Italian restaurant. I think it was mafia owned because there was never anyone there and always would stick around. <laughs> they didn't care. Yeah. And it's and it's he, interesting that you, you lower your voice when you say this too. Because you, <laughs> yeah. you want to make sure that nobody's <laughs> And I remember the yeah, the manager, the guy who owned it, I forgot his name, but he was he was very nice, very classy guy. Yeah. Talk talk like a little monk. Yeah. He'd say, Matt, to my friend Matt, he goes, Matt. Get your friend something nice to eat. 
And so he's like, well, what would you like? And I, I go, I don't know. And then they bring me out these dishes, these pasta dishes and beautiful salads. And uh, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Yeah. You know, actually going to a restaurant where it's fresh food. And um, so slowly I started realizing that there's more to offer out there. When you're kind of in a this microcosm or whatever you call it, yeah. this, this, this little Newburgh, Indiana, there's not a lot of choices mm-hmm. and even when you go to college again you don't have any money there's not a, a lot of choices and, and, and also i didn't go home very often yeah and also in college you're you, you've got a pretty much prescribed kind of way of eating you're either eating in a dorm or you're eating in a cafeteria or yes yeah that's exactly right so it Steam wasn't until i started food. yeah i mean it really wasn't until i guess i moved to la and i started eating sushi discovered sushi and i was like oh, this is this is healthy mm-hmm. this is fish and rice yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know this is this is better and occasionally i would you know date someone and i'd date them a couple years and they would force me to put some meals together and i actually recall really liking it i like having that sort of feel of like oh we're making something together it's yeah. it's healthy it's not just getting a quick fix there's something really nice about that so it's definitely something, you know, look, I'm 50 years old now, and I haven't been eating great for quite a long time. I've definitely been eating better in the last 15, 20 years mm-hmm. than I was previously. But I still think, look, it's never too late. And, um, you know, I, I want to experience it more. I think that was one of the things when you said, hey, come on this show. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know anything about cooking. I don't know anything about it. My mom didn't cook. Mm-hmm. I'd be a terrible guest. But really, it's... It's a, it's a good thing to, to, to learn and to, you know, having a friend like you to sort of change my habits and, and expand your hor- a different world. And also expand your horizons and and expand your um, expand not only your food choices, but also your community in a way. Yeah. You know, it force you to do that. You, you, you have friends over and say, OK, tonight I'm going to try something. Tonight, I'm going to look in this book. This looks great. I'm going to try this tonight. Why not? I, I think that's a good idea. It's probably uh, cost-effective, too. It's oh. pro- you're probably going to save money, Much a more. lot of money, because I order out constantly. And that co- And when I think I'm ordering, I'm like, hey, I'm ordering a, yeah. you know, uh, 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 let me ask you, yeah, ordering yeah. Chinese is probably a lot of salt, right? Yes. Salt, uh, often sugar, in, particularly in Cantonese, uh, Mandarin food, but depending, depending. Yeah, see, I, I always look at it as, oh, it's rice and meat and broccoli. How could that be bad for you? Well, But it probably is, isn't it? Yeah, well, first of all, you got to be careful about your meat and how it's cooked and also not eating it too often uh, because it's artery clog. And I, I have a history of high family cholesterol so i watch you know i'm on the basically i live on the mediterranean diet uh lots right. lots of olive oil i don't use any other kind of fat i don't use butter much uh sometimes i'll use butter but basically it's olive oil is my go-to cooking oil salad oil and uh fish uh lean meat every once in a while um uh, lots of chicken lots of fish and lots of fresh vegetables yeah, and high, you know, my dad and high fiber grains, not not uh, uh, white rice, but brown rice, um, 
Um, you know, staying away from uh, regular potatoes if you can. Eat sweet potatoes. Purple potatoes are great. Um, they're much healthier for you. Can I just move in with you? <laughs> you and your wife. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll fi- clean the garden, whatever you do. <laughs> okay. I'll fix things. I'll prune things. All right. You got to move. Uh, <laughs> but now you live. Yeah. You live in the center of healthy food access. <laughs> True. You know, you live in a place that's much better. It's much easier to find. I have to, you know, I, I'm great in the summertime with my garden and my fresh vegetables. But in the wintertime, I have to depend on stores that have, you know, fresh food. And they are places like, I'm not going to name particular stores, but there are, you know, actually, a lot of the major supermarkets now have organic produce sections. Uh, so it doesn't have to be a place like Whole Foods or, you know, any place that just specializes in it. So you can get. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Is is because you'll, you'll know the answer to this. Is eating vegan a, a way healthier choice or being vegetarian? What What is the best sort of diet to have in your opinion? But in my opinion, it's the diet that I follow, the Mediterranean diet. Which is which is much more sort of has a broader spectrum of of, of food choices. But veganism is healthy. I, I know a, a number of people that I'm personally friendly and whom I know who are vegans, who are very healthy people. Uh, people who are vegetarians. Uh, uh, my stepson and his wife have become pescatarians. They only eat fish. They're not eating chicken and meat anymore. Uh, and they how feel do they like, feel? They feel how great. They feel? they feel great. Yeah. They're, 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 they enjoy it very much. Yeah. But I, but what about, don't you have to worry about the mercury stuff with the fish? Uh, depends. Uh, if it's, uh, if it's line caught, uh, I think it's probably better. I, you know, the answer to that one is I'm not an expert on it. So I right. can't give you a definitive, definitive answer, but there are places that you can go and look and find out. Very easily. All you got to do is, you know, we live now in the age of uh, just pick up your phone and you have an encyclopedia. So go to the encyclopedia yeah. of your of your phone and just ask it. Hey, whatever. <laughs> hey, Alexa. Hey, Siri. Um, <laughs> what fish is is safe to eat? Uh, and I'm I'm sure you'll be able to find out. But I want to get back to you. And your progress. I'm learning, though. Yes. Well, Chris, I'm learning. I, I get it. I'm learning from you. I, but go ahead. Go okay, ahead. Okay. So, so now you're, you're, so we've, we've sort of moved out of your childhood and we've moved into your college years. You started, because I want to find out, uh, I'm curious also about how you ended up doing what you do now, how you ended up being. Lex Luthor, how you ended up uh, working with all these wonderful people. Where did this come from? Well, you know, it, it really, I've, I've told the story, but like it, I didn't fit in at all in high school. I just oh, did really? not fit in. I would hang out with some of the stoners and hang out with some of the goth people and the theater people. And a few, I knew a popular guy and I, but I didn't really fit in everywhere, mm-hmm. anywhere. I, I was the shortest kid in my high school. Really? I, uh, yes, and I just, uh, I just felt like I didn't belong. I just something to to this day. In a lot of ways, there's still that kid that feels like he doesn't quite belong. Right. I don't feel that comfortable when I'm around big celebrities. And I, I can fake it. I can fake the hell out of it, and you think I'm the most confident guy in the room. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, 
I don't feel that comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I I was taking a drama class and it was an easy A. And then my senior year, my Miss Miss Paternos. This is college, right? No, this was high school. Oh, this the is end high of school. high school. Oh, okay. Mrs. Paternoster, who then became Miss Johnson, who I believe became Miss well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> she told me I cannot take senior drama unless I audition for a play. Ah. And I said, shit. And I, and I said, okay. And so there was this play, Grease, like every, every actor's done it. And there's this part of Vince Fontaine, the crazy DJ. Mm-hmm. And I went in and I read for it and I got it. And I was like, oh, shit, now I have to do it. <laughs> and I remember being so nervous and to the point where there's a radio booth. And I'm supposed to play this DJ. Yeah. And I up, up on the top of the, of the stage. And I remember just like you couldn't see me. I didn't want to be seen. And the director said, Michael, we can't see you. We have to see your face. And then I started getting, you know, I guess I got a little more confident. And I noticed, I still have it. I haven't watched it in a while, but I remember the applause when my character came out at the end of the show. I got all these laughs, but the applause was just like, I was like, oh my God, this is for me. Mm -hmm. It It was louder than everybody else's. It was really like yeah. thunderous. Yeah. And I and I was just I knew that I was doing something right. And I remember walking down the hallway the next day at school and this popular kid who never ever talked to me just goes, Hey, you were funny in that play last night. And then he walked away. And I go, So not being me is yeah. the way to go. Yeah. But from that moment on. I said, this has got to be the right thing for me because I'm not popular. I'm not, people aren't paying attention to me. But when I do this, they pay attention to me. Mm -hmm. And I went to college and I started taking acting classes and I started doing plays and I noticed that people were paying a little more attention to me. I had found something that I belonged with this group. Mm -hmm. I belonged in the environment. And, you know, uh, from then on, I started getting lead lead roles. My teachers were like, hey, I go, hey, should I go to grad school? They're like, I think you're ready. You should go to New York and give this a shot. Really? So this was, and, at, and I, this yeah, was they, at Western Kentucky? Is that where you went to school? Western Kentucky. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it was like little moments that gave me the confidence. In your lifetime, there's a few people along the way that hopefully everyone has. Yeah. That just has a belief in you. Yep. Because a lot of times you don't believe in yourself if no one else believes in you. And that causes a lot of times for you to not become who you're destined to become because you didn't have the confidence and nobody helped you with that. Yeah. So along the way, there was like a, maybe a teacher in high school. Maybe there was a guy who came. Maybe you know this guy. He did Broadway. Have you ever heard of Leo Burmester? Name's familiar. He did some Broadway, Les Miserables. Uh, he was one of the original cast and he, uh, did some movies like, um, the abyss mm-hmm. and he was invited cause he went to Western Kentucky. He was invited to the college to speak and, and, and he, uh, we were going to, the, the graduating class was going to give monologues. And I remember he was going to review them and talk to each actor. And I remember they said, just graduating seniors. And I was a junior and I went to the head of the department. And I go, Hey, I pay money to go to the school. I want to give a monologue to this guy. And in my mind, I said to myself, you are going to do a monologue. He's going to recognize me. He's going to see my talent. And it's, I'm going to take off from there. I swear to God, this is the mindset. Mm-hmm. 
My teacher says, Michael, go ahead. You can give a monologue. And I gave a monologue. Everybody started giving monologues. He would go up to them and say, great, blah, blah, blah. They'd sit down. I went up there. I gave a monologue. Do you remember what it was? Um, Boy's Life? Mm. Boy's yeah, Life? Yeah, that's a, a fairly popular and, and famous one. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I gave the monologue, and he came up to me and he goes, I want you to try it this way. Mm. And I go, okay. And I did it. And he goes, hang on, come here. And now people are getting a little restless. Mm-hmm. Like, why is he getting to yeah, do right, it again? Right. Just do it this time. I did it four or five times. And by the end, I was in tears with the direction he gave yeah, yeah. me. That I was, I was crying in this scene that I was sort of laughing at first. And the bell rang and everybody got up and left. And Leo turned to me and he says, you've got it. You got, you've got this. Don't ever stop doing this. Don't ever stop trying because there's something inside yeah. of you that I see. Yeah. And my the head of the department called me in and goes, I don't understand. You party all the time. <laughs> you, you don't take this seriously, Dr. Combs would say. Yes. But Leo Burmester was fond of you. And he says, you're the one that's going to make mm-hmm. it. And Leo called me from New York and said, hey, why don't you come meet my agent? I'm in college. Flew wow. up. Didn't. Met his agent. Uh, I wasn't ready yet. I, I, I wanted to graduate college, mm-hmm. but it made me feel like I do have what I thought I had. And from there on, I started. Uh, you know, I moved to New York with nothing. I lived with two people in a in a, in a one bedroom apartment. Um, then three people in the same one bedroom apartment. I rollerbladed to do telemarketing. I did off Broadway at the Grove Street Playhouse. Mm-hmm. I. And things started to happen. And, you know, they say luck's a commodity of preparation and opportunity. I called Dr. Combs back at college, and he goes, how's it going? And I said, you know, I don't know. I'm not getting any breaks, really. It's been like eight months, a year. I'm not really getting any connections. I'm barely making enough money to get by, you know, Mm -hmm. paying my dues. That's right. The actor's story. And he said... I'd like you to call Dylan and Becky Baker. You know them? No. I know Dylan. I, I know Bill. I know Dylan. Just Dylan. Yeah. Done a ton of work. Both of them have done a ton. Great actors. Yeah, yeah. Dylan's a great and, uh, character actor. Wonderful. Yes. Yep. Murder in the Murder in the first or something. Whatever. He's done tons of stuff. Yep. They go call call them, and I called them and I said, "Hey, it's Michael Rosenbaum. Why don't you come over for some ramen noodles?" And I hung up. The next day, she's like, oh, my God, you're so funny. Dylan and I want you to have dinner at our house. And I remember, again, they made me this really nice meal. We had a salad to start our meal, a little fruit. Then we had some, you know, uh, I don't remember what else we had, but it was a nice meal. It was one of those few moments of my life Mm. that I was having good food, Chris. And this was a marvelous night. He showed me some pictures of him with John Candy and Steve Martin from this movie they did together, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And I went home. And three days later in my apartment, I go, you know what? I'm going to call them and just say thanks. Just because I'm going to follow up. Yep. And I called. And Becky says, hey, Michael. Hey, can you hold on a second? I go, sure. She clicks back about two minutes later and goes, listen, I was just on the phone with my agent. And I mentioned you and they want to see you tomorrow. It was just a lucky yep moment yep. 
And the next day I went in and the, it was, it was for commercial, the commercial agent. And they said, do you know what you do voiceovers? And I said, hell yeah. I'd never done a voiceover. Right. right. And they, and I remembered acting for the camera class I took in, in, in college. And I remembered it verbatim. And I started, if you like yummy things like peach parfait, come on, <laughs> live a little, have a cup of you band for dessert, you <laughs> band. The gorgeous coffee. Just think, bacon and eggs for breakfast and dessert. A nice sandwich for lunch and dessert. You rem- or how about a strawberry? I went on. You remember and they the were whole laughing. thing. Right. I, I still to this day do. Mm-hmm. And they called the other agents and they laughed and they started sending me out. And it, this helped me. It just, it just was a sort of a chain reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I the thing with me is, I remember. Again, I miss it. I don't know what it is, and maybe you could relate, but I just remember having this confidence that I was going to make it. There was no statistic. Yes. No actors don't survive. Yes. It didn't matter. I was different in my head. And I wish I had that same kind of drive and that same kind of confidence because I think as you get older, you sort of lose that tenacity that drive do you not well it's about it's it's not not uh, not knowing that you don't know anything you know not being aware that you are um uh, an empty vessel in a way uh and as the vessel fills up you start having you start listening to some of those voices i we call it the spoiler in my family uh of the spoiler going no, no no you you can't you can't do that but when you're younger you don't have a spoiler, or often you don't. Or if you had a spoiler, you figured out a way to sublimate it, to put it to the side. Because I'm young. I can do anything. Why not? But as you get older, you start, you know, the, the, and the world has something to do with that as well, I think. You know, you, I, I think so, too. I think you, get, you, you surround yourself sometimes as you come to Hollywood or in the New York yeah. scene. You have people that are jaded. And people that are starting this sort cynical. of attitude, cynical yep. and negative, and it rubs, it can rub off on yep. you. And you can start to believe those things, yeah. and it can change your perspective. And I think that's ultimately what can happen, what does happen. And also um, the rejections but, accumulate over time. Because as yeah. I, you know, I tell the story all the time, I've never told it to you, and maybe the folks who are listening remember my telling it in another podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that is that at one point, uh, when I was sort of mid-career and was doing okay, uh, my five-year-old daughter was sitting with another five-year-old and their mom, and they were sitting around talking, they were having a pizza or ice cream or something, and uh, they were talking about what their daddies did. And the woman turned to her own daughter and she said, you know what daddy does, don't you? And she said, yeah, he makes wires in houses. And then she said, that's right, daddy's an electrician. And she turned to my daughter and she said, you know what your daddy does, don't you? And she says, yeah, he looks for work. (laughs) That's so true. Because that's what we do as actors. He looks... He looks for work. And and the fact is that one of the, I think, distinguishing characteristics of people who have a career in this business is that they are able to, after, uh, like a good baseball player, a, a hitter. We all know, anybody out there who's a baseball fan knows that a good hitter hits over 300. That means that he strikes out or doesn't get a hit 70% of the time. 
Okay? Well, this is the same with actors. And you have to have a mindset that every time I go up to the plate, I'm going to get a hit. Every time I go into an audition, I'm going to get this. And if you don't, then you have to you have to somehow gather yourself for the next one and the next one. And I guess it's a long way of saying that over the years, those rejections, because rejection is so much a part of what we do, that they accumulate over time. Yeah. You know, absolutely. and they become a kind of <laughs> plaque in our in our artery of creativity. It was weird, you know, growing up and the sort of the life I had and the my surroundings. I never I always had this weird feeling that I wasn't going to live past high school or I wasn't going to live past my 20s or I was I just always felt that way. And I, you know, living in a small town, I think there was 3000 people in Newburgh, Indiana, and, you know, to get out of this town was not going to be easy. And I never thought I would. But sort of a chain reaction of things that sort of happened. I, I got lucky. I remember the reason I went to college is because the popular kid down the street, he was, he was popular, but he always came over the house. Maybe because I had a, my parents had a pool. It wasn't a great pool, but mm-hmm. you know, or I had a Atari <laughs> yeah. and he would come over to play it. But he goes, Hey, are you, are you going to Western? You should go to Western Kentucky. We'll be roommates. I swear to God. The only reason I went to college it was because, because this guy. popular kid yeah. was like, Let's go to college and I'll be a roommate. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I was like, oh, he likes, that's cool. And I went to college and then everything else happened. Mm-hmm. But like, again, it tells you somebody who believes in you, but I never thought I'd make it. So even when I got, it's funny, when I got my first TV show, it was the worst TV show in the history of TV shows. It was the Tom Arnold show. It was called The Tom Show, mm-hmm. ranked 132 out of 131 shows. <laughs> it was not a great show. Right. Ed McMahon, meet. But I thought I made it. I got a TV show. I am rich. Little did I know, it was all of a sudden there was this, it dawns on you that you're like, you're making, you know, 7,500 bucks a week before taxes mm-hmm. and agents and all. and no one's watching the show and no one cares. And you're like, wait a minute, but I'm on a team. No one, no one cares. <laughs> and you're like, well, but I'm a, I'm a star, right? Yeah. You're not a star. You're on a shitty show that no one cares about. Yeah. So it's this perception that I have to get on a better show. I have to get on a better project. I have to get better, 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 better. Yeah, yeah. And there's always chasing that dream. It's like, you know, uh, my friend said it best. His movie bombed. He was a, he's a director, a writer, an actor. His, I won't say his name, but his movie bombed, and the critics hated it. And I said to him, how are you feeling? Because, you know, my perspective is, if you told little me when I was 12 years old, you're going to direct a movie yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. You're going to be a, the lead actor in Hollywood mm-hmm. in a movie. He wouldn't think of money. He wouldn't think no. of reviews. No. He would just think, oh my gosh, how great is that? And the kid in us, I think we lose that a lot of times. Yes. The things we're doing, they are cool. They are great. Yep. Just because someone else doesn't think, you got to keep those, you know, that, that kid alive, that spirit alive. And, and yep. that's where, you know, I mean, because some people, they, they lose their love for for what they do, their passion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's very, exactly. it does happen. 
That that leads into a question that I have about because one of the things that I I read in your bio when I read it out, you know, and introduced you was that you worked with some extraordinary people. Now, is there any one or any of the the group of that group of people or any group of people that you work with where you can say, you know what, that's a great example of what I want to attain. Not just from the standpoint of artistry, but also from the standpoint of perspective and attitude. You know, about what we the do. The first thing I think of is Keanu Reeves. Hmm. I, I did a movie called Sweet November. I played a transvestite that lives next to his friends with Charlize Theron. Ooh, we have that and in common. We've both <laughs> played, we've both played <laughs> uh, people who are transvestites. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. go ahead. Six degrees of separation, uh, only one now. Yeah. So it wasn't about, I looked at him and said, I want his success. I want his career. Mm-hmm. I want, I, you know, they say when they meet, you know, never meet your heroes because they'll, they'll let you down sometimes. Yep. Yep. I met Keanu and I thought, what a beautiful human being. Yeah. He was so nice to me and so pleasant and came up to me every morning and goes, Michael, how's your morning? Mm. And we would have these conversations. I go, Keanu. And I would be in a tray, I'd be in drag. I go, can I call you Keanu? <laughs> and he'd go, well, you can call me anything you like. Mm-hmm. And we just had such a wonderful time and camaraderie. And I thought, look at this guy with the biggest success story who has millions of dollars. And is just a good man. Yep. And you hear these stories about him just going up to someone who needs a hug or, or, or you know, and these tragedies that happen where his yep. girlfriend dies. And he is just a great person. And I think my goals have changed. I think when I was younger, I want to be a star. I want to be famous. Mm-hmm. I want to be, I want to be known. I want to make I wanna be it. This. Yeah. Yes, and something shifted. Maybe it's um, maybe a moment with Keanu. Maybe the podcast that I'm doing now, which really affects a lot of people and helps them with their lives. We talk about celebrities with anxiety, yeah. depression, yeah. all these things. Sure. We talk. I talk to you about it, and my perception has changed. That you know, it's not. It, it's not what you're doing as an actor or what project you're doing or how much money you're making or how many people know you. It's what you do behind the camera when no one's watching. It's the nice uh, humanity, humanitarian sort of like things that we can do that, that can mean so much to someone's life. Um, And that is truly what I'm aspiring to be more like is someone who um, can change someone's life, who can help them, who can, um, and it makes me happier. It's weird, but when you do for others, absolutely, when you, you feel better. And I, look, I'm I'm not uh, I'm not a gift from God here. I, mm-hmm. I think we all are, but I am really trying to be that person. Am I? Have I completed my tasks? No, I have a long way to go. But when I do those things, when I become friends with a kid from the Ronald McDonald House, and I become friends with him, and his family as he's going through terminal cancer, mm-hmm. and he becomes like a brother, and I realize. I'm not only helping him or his family, maybe, but I, I'm surprised by how much it helps me, yep. how much it makes me feel more human. Yeah. 
and how much it makes me want to help more. And so that is a long answer, but I think that my, again, my whole perception, my perspective, everything's sort of shifted into, look, do I still, there's part of you that still, hey, you know, it's nice when you're noticed. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're you're great Lex Luthor. You were the Flash or you were this. That's awesome. But also when people come up to and say, you have no idea how much your podcast helps me. I have a horrible anxiety attacks. I have horrible whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that means so much more to me that I'm helping someone as opposed to like, oh, I played yeah. this guy. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool. That, it's pretty, that it's you're pretty in cool. service to something. That's yeah, bigger I'm, I'm, than I feel like yourself. I'm growing up fine. I feel like I'm growing up fine. Yeah. I, I think... I was uh, Peter Pan syndrome. My mom had it. She still does. She's like a 75-year-old, 13-year-old. <laughs> I'm sort of this 50-year-old that's starting to, uh, you know, just see see what life has to offer. It really, it really has to offer. Not just the, the, um, the things that seem shallow yeah. or not important, but the other things that are. Because people, rem- you know, what you have, somebody said is all you have when you die are your memories. You have your memories, and were you a good person? And when I die, when I go, I want to hopefully before I go say, "Hey, you were a good dude. <laughs> you were a good human yeah. being." Yeah, and, and, and you inf- you affected the world and and some of its people in a positive way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's really important. It's taken me a long time, and probably take me longer to figure it out. It never completely. ends. It never ends. Never ends. Yeah, it shouldn't. Yeah, it shouldn't. That's that's the important thing, and that is that we remain curious and we remain um, uh, open to uh, possibilities, and that includes other people. Uh, and it's one of the yeah. reasons why I wanted to do this show is because my early life was about food, and it it I know that I, I have connected in many ways with people in my uh, adult life through food. And uh, I am hoping that it will continue to um, to provide a picture to people of, of ways of creating community and family that's not necessarily literal family, but that is more sort of figurative, you know, big picture family. Uh, so yeah. getting back to that, that, that idea, uh, I want to know if there is one memory that you have, be it the smell of something coming from the kitchen when you walked in the house or the smell of something that you, uh, or the taste of something that you ate when you were out somewhere that is vivid, still vivid to you today, that brings back a memory of that time in your life. Well, you know, recently, um, it's funny because I won't remember exactly what I was eating, but the Michelin, what is it? What's the highest star? Yep. yep. Is it a three star or five star? What's the highest? I'm not Michelin sure what the highest Michelin is, but I, it's yeah, it's up there. There's only eleven, I think, in the country. Mm-hmm. And my friend James Gunn, who he director of Guardians of the Galaxy, Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, all those movies, mm-hmm. one of my best friends, he treated all his friends to a Michelin. Three, five, the bit, the, the whatever the highest is. Yeah, yeah. I, I had never been to anything like this. Mm-hmm. I'd never been to. I mean, I and I couldn't believe the tastes and the flavors and the things that I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what they were called. Where, like, where was the restaurant? 
It was in Northern California. Uh, yeah. It was in yeah. It was it was one of the most extraordinary restaurants and the French Laundry. Maybe, probably one of the most Hold famous on. restaurants in the country, at least out there. It's yeah. called Single Thread. Single Thread. Okay. <laughs> I mean, other than that, you know, having a couple of you know nice meals at restaurants. But what what about I've when you were been... a kid? I remember Anything? like going to my grandmother's house. My grandma Blanche. Yep. She was. I didn't experience this with my mother. Right. But like you'd start out with a half a grapefruit, and you'd have a little bit of grapefruit, and then you'd have a nice salad with your meal. Uh, and no, and then she'd bring out uh, veal parmesan, mm. or she'd bring out, uh, you know, her her pasta dishes or um, eggplant. Or uh, I just remember thinking, this is what eating is like. This is what eating should be. Mm -hmm. You should you shouldn't rush through your meals. Yeah. You shouldn't just eat because you're hungry unless you have to. Yeah, you're on, you're at the airplane. You need to grab food. Yeah. But when you have the chance to sit down. And have a nice meal with someone, and talk about it. Mm -hmm. There, I just never experienced that. I never experienced saying, "This is wonderful. Mm -hmm. This is this is an event." She would. I, I think my mother was a little envious of that. I think you know. I was like, "Why can't you cook like this?" Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> right. Um, and that was sort of it. My both grandparents grew up where all the families ate together. Yeah. The family always ate together. Yep. And my grandmothers would always cook. And this was, was always this was Ruthie as well as Ruthie, yes, who passed away years ago. Uh, but and Blanche, who's still alive, is ninety four, oh, wow. just moved into assisted living, still has her memory. Uh, who's amazing. Um, and it's it's moments like that that you're just like you start to realize that there's much more out there. Yeah. There's a lot of different things out there that you haven't even experienced. I haven't experienced so much. And I'm 50, and I think it's from, I'm not knocking it, but I think I have a lot of great friends who like to eat pizza, like to eat this. Mm -hmm. and no one really likes to sit down and make a meal. And like after listening to your podcast, after talking to you, it makes me want to start having dinner nights where every week, once a week, that's my challenge. Someone comes, and it's a challenge. I'm going to challenge you to do that. Yeah, and, at least once every other week. And and I'm going to ask you to report back to me. Of yeah, how because out. you know, I just I need to start experiencing more. I think you know, yeah. I have I woke up in terms of you know the whole fame thing and wanting this and that, and then all of a sudden, wow, doing something meaningful mm -hmm. for someone else, learning that. I think the same thing with me for food. Not only that, but I have a lot of allergies. I have a lot of food allergies, oh. and I. I, av I I don't avoid them, the foods that I should avoid. Mm -hmm. I just, I sometimes go, you know what? I'm just going to eat it anyway. Mm -hmm. And I suffer from it and all the inflammations. And it's amazing when you eat, can eat healthy. And there's so many good foods that are there, that are out there, yep. that you're only helping yourself. Like, I know that my congestion and my inflammation, they'll all probably cease when I start to eat right. Uh, eat better meals. Mm -hmm. There's no, just no doubt about it. So this is a good reason for me to change. All right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Okay. Like, no, no. I'm going to hold you to it. Michael Rosenbaum, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. You are a delightful guest. 
And I can't thank you enough. It's been, it's been, because always in these conversations, things are revealed to me. And that's because, and that's why I call this podcast Cooking by Heart, because it comes from here in me to there in you. Your heart to mine. I I, I love this. I love talking to you. I hope we'll remain friends for a long, long time. I think you're a special human being. And I'm going to come visit you sometime and have a meal at your house. It's a deal, dude. It's a deal. I would love that. Okay. Love you, Michael. Take care. All right. Thank you. Michael Rosenbaum, ladies and gentlemen, thank him very much. What a great, great, great day today.